you're working as a composer, editor, and director. What educational background do you have to fulfill these roles? I, I went to film school at USC, and um, I I went there with the goal of uh, directing, and I had the fantasy of um, hiring Jerry Goldsmith to be my composer for the films I would do. Mm -hmm. And um, just through, well, it's a long story, but I just ended up becoming a film composer, <laughs> which is, um, it was very odd for me in the beginning because I didn't take myself seriously. I would literally be at a uh, composer's dinner and Jerry Goldsmith would be sitting there at the same table and I was, it was very surreal for me. But um, it's because I, in the 80s, I um, had a, um, a hobby of getting this um, MIDI gear, which had just come out in the, in the, uh, somewhere in the mid-80s, and got an old Hammond keyboard, a little organ, and um, some uh, sound synthesizer with it, and started experimenting with my friend's student films, and just, you know, doodling and, and coming up with stuff, and I realized I had a knack for it, and um, that hobby basically turned into a career, so... <laughs> So you began at the 80s to start composing, right? Right. And it was sort of self-taught. I mean, I, I had played the clarinet in school, not very well, um, but I, I had a musical sense because I um, would play in the band and so forth. But I also was a um, strange child where I would just go and watch symphonic music being played by the local symphony. Mm -hmm. And all I would do is collect film scores and listen to film music. And to this day, I have no idea what's going on in the real world with music. <laughs> so the first music you heard was film music? Pretty pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I was a big Star Trek fan of the, uh, the, si the 60s series. Mm -hmm. And I was such a fanatic about that show, watching you know every episode 20, 30 times, that I became very aware of the music. And that show, they, they scored the series with, with an orchestra, but they could only afford to score every couple episodes. And then they would reuse the music for a lot of the other uh, episodes. And the music editor on those movie on those, on those uh, episodes really um, was the, the backbone of, of the composer of those, a lot of those um, shows. And by reusing a lot of the themes and, and um, motifs from you know, another episode that gave the, the series a real sort of cohesiveness. And mm. I, I sort of learned by watching that show a lot about scoring. <laughs> so cool. I, um, and then of course my, my story is very typical when I went and saw, uh, Star Wars, you know, my whole world, um, you know, became different because of the score and realized, you know, um, It just put some music, film music on the map, orchestral film music on the map, you know. And then from there, I saw Alien, um, and um, that just um, got me introduced to Jerry Goldsmith. And from there on, I became a huge Goldsmith. So uh, you're a big science fiction fan? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was really a Star Trek fan. I wasn't into other science fiction. And then Star Wars came along, and, and that sort of broadened my my scope of science fiction. And then... Um, but yes, I tend to like anything that's science fiction oriented or future futuristic oriented. I mean, I like all all genres, but um, I'm intrigued by by the concepts of the future. You know, which of the Star Trek movies and scores is your favorite? By by far, um, Star Trek the motion picture was to me just a masterful score, and um, and I have to say, the Wrath of Khan, of course, is is also a it's a classic. You know. Mm -hmm. 
So I originally, I, I initially was very upset when I, when I saw Wrath of Khan as a fan back then because it wasn't using the Goldsmith theme. And I'm a big believer in, in you know, um, having a thread run through every movie of the same theme. You know, if you're going to do a franchise, do the same theme every time. So I was initially horrified that it wasn't the theme. But, but now, of course, I realize it's how brilliant that score was. If you would be approached to make the music for a Star Trek movie, which one of the classic movie themes would you use? Or would you prefer to write your own theme? I think a new Star Trek film, possibly because it's a whole new generation, should have a different theme. The the the, uh, the Goldsmith theme probably wouldn't work, also because it's so associated with the uh, '80s series now. But I I think the music should maintain a, um, a sort of um, romantic notion and full of color and um, sense of wonder that um, I think Star Trek should offer. And um, I'll just stop there about well, <laughs> new <laughs> new Star Trek films. <laughs> But I I would I would give my left arm to to score one of them yes yes tricky uh, it was certainly an experience for you when patrick stewart visited the uh, recording of x-men 2 score um right. i've seen the making of and i like watching him uh, in films well, you too <clears throat> oh yeah as an editor editing his performances he's, he's such a solid actor and um i can't imagine one error he ever made uh, on a line and um and he's just um very Very consistent and um, and it just you know adds a lot of class. Excellent two is in my opinion one of your best scores. What inspired you to get to the music? What inspired me? Usually this panic and um, looking at the the calendar in my wall and saying, oh my god, how am I going to write this score? Because um, you know as you know I I was also the editor of that film, which was mm -hmm. ju just on its own, just a. Uh, undertaking so it's such a blur now but I, I know I wanted to keep the same um, f uh, flair as the Cayman theme because again I do believe in a film trying to at least be connected to the other in some way but I also knew they were very unhappy with with the music for that movie so I, I've sort of uh, you know added the flavor a little bit of, of his his theme which I didn't ever ever, ever felt had a second half it, his theme sort of was a Uh, getting in something that never really happened. So I, um, you know, kind of did the rest of what would what that would have been, and then um, and just did my own thing. I, I don't know what really inspired me, except for that sort. Of, I realized that sort of just comes to me naturally, writing character motifs for um, you know wearing, have the music on the sleeve kind of kind of scores. I, I kind of love. Although X Men isn't exactly that. You have to be really uh, careful with the X Men characters because they they are more complex and, and uh, it's a darker world and um, so music has to be a little more um, serious you know mm -hmm. uh, but but I would say that what, what inspired me were, were the characters because they're they're just a terrific set of characters that mm -hmm. that um, uh, are very inspiring and each of them has you know an issue and 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 a lot of them and they share the same issue together the acceptance And, um, and feeling, you know, different from from everybody else, and so that uh, motivates me musically because I, I have something I can grasp, and um, it's it's when characters don't have um, an issue or have some sort of conflict, it's very difficult for me musically to figure out where they're coming from. But I really understood these characters, and so I think that's that really motivated me with my themes. You're editing the movie like uh, Valkyria. I see it uh, yesterday. 
great film. Oh, thanks. And what do you like about editing films? I don't. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I I do it under gunpoint. I, I Brian Singer basically got so used to me being his editor and he had a really bad experience on X-Men 1 hmm. that he told me that he he won't let me just score his movies. I have to be the editor as well or so it's it's basically blackmail because uh, why would anyone go to editing prison for a year and a half and lose countless movies to score, sever relationships with directors they've scored movies with and and make no residuals as an editor. So I, I, it doesn't make much sense for me, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, that's, it's, I'm, I'm a very reluctant film editor. I mean, I, I'm good at it, and um, you know, there are moments of, of satisfaction for me, and I guess that the positives in it are that I'm more in control of the movie that I'm scoring, and there's really no one to answer to except for Brian and maybe an executive here or there, but Brian Brian has gotten to that status now, or where we really to make him happy. So you know, I don't know. I'm trying to see the the, the glass half full by editing his movies, but but um, you know, it's sort of the best thing uh, for me and the worst thing for me at the same time by by having to edit his movies. Oh, okay. Um, and when you edit, uh, do you have already developed ideas in your mind uh, for the future score? No, not not really. I don't. I wish I could say, you know, as I'm editing, all these musical ideas are coming into my head, but they're not really. Um, I'm it, the editing is such an overwhelming task, especially when you're in, in the first half of making the movie where you're trying to put it together. I, I will know that there are going to be musical areas that I'm going to score, and so I will purposefully, you know, make those like um, I will draw out the moments or make a pregnant moment in the in the in the scene because I'll know that'll be some sort of scoring moment and I'll know maybe the type of music it'll be but what it what it is I have no idea and and it, and it haunts me from day one I mean, I'm I just started this film with Brian uh, Jack the Giant Killer and we've been editing for about a month now and the first week I was on the film I'm already just full of anxiety about how I'm supposed to write the score, when I'm supposed to write the score, because this is a really difficult movie technically and um, to, to edit. And apparently these motion capture kinds of films are in flux all the time. And so um, I don't know when I'm supposed to make my escape to go write the music and somehow bring it onto a stage a year from now. So, <laughs> so it's, just, it's this looming task that, that, that just basically bothers me ever until I can finally just start doing it. What do you think is the best thing about composing music? I don't have to wake up to an alarm clock every day. That's the best thing. <laughs> oh, why? Um, well, you're sort of you're on your you, your your hours are very long, and it's a lot of pressure. But you know, you wake up when you want to wake up. You you uh you're on your own schedule. You know, mm -hmm. um, and that was a that's a joke though. That's not the best thing about writing music. It's just that it, being the film editor on right now, I I'm waking up to an alarm clock every day, and I hate it. It's the most disturbing thing to wake up to an alarm clock, but. I, I would say because you are giving birth to something, literally. I mean, you, something comes from within you if you're not asked to rip something off. And you bring it to somewhere and you, you know, it, and it sort of um, gets played by an orchestra, you hope, if it's got a, you know, a real budget. And there's nothing like it because you, you, you something that you, um, it's basically something you're giving birth to, you know. And I would say uh, film music and screenwriting. Mm -hmm. are the only two creative tasks in the business because both of them come from one person and they're not as influenced by other factors as the other things in the movie. For instance, you know, 
when you're directing a movie, you're 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 dependent on a lot of other people doing things for you, and um, it's the same for pretty much any craft in the business. You have a, a team working for you, but when you're writing a score, you know it's basically you, and it's same with writing a screenplay. I mean, I guess you can have help, but it's still a very personal thing. So it's uh, I think there's a lot more personal satisfaction from it when it's finished. Is there something that makes it less fun for you? Oh, hell yeah. Um, where do I begin? <laughs> well, you know, I could rant for an hour about temp scores, which, you know, is a is a topic that's, I think, been well beaten down, you know, quite a bit. So or it's like beating, beating the dead horse. But that, that, that's something the composers, you know, can't stand is is when someone wants you to rip off a temp score. The, the time frame to write is, um, you know, can, can be brutal. And I guess my biggest pet peeve currently with film music is that, well, there's so many. Where, where do I start? <laughs> first, first of all, it's become very, very generic as an art form. I got into film music because I was a, a fan of the art form where scores used to tell a story and be thematic and develop like a, a good symphony would. And they're just, I mean, with with a few exceptions, they're just not that way anymore. They've become basically this generic uh, sound design where it's all climax and no foreplay. It's just all, everything is, is, is for the maximum drive every single moment of the movie. And I just tune out some of these movies because the, the music just keeps, is so loud and constantly um, at one level emotionally that um, I just get bored with the film. But so that's one thing. And the industry sort of sort of um, drank the Kool-Aid on um, on that, and, and now they're sort of embracing that sound. And so film music itself has become this big, overdriven bullshit half the time, you know. And then um, my other pet peeve, so never, never ask me to, to, to give you some negatives, because you know me, I'll just, I'll just start unloading. But, um, <laughs> you know, the, the budgets now are, are, are so much lower for film music, and because um, of technology, ironically. They, a lot of producers will see their next door neighbor, you know, just got GarageBand mm. or some synthesizer, and they think, well, if they can do it, why would I pay another composer to, you know, write a score when my neighbor could do it? Well, anybody can work a computer and work an editing uh, mm. pro program. Doesn't mean that they can be, they can edit a feature film and do it well. They could do it badly, but it's uh, so that 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 so the devaluation of film music is. Um, is really depressing. It used to be when the composer came on a project, it was people would almost bow because it was uh, a position of great importance. And now I think a lot of times you walk in a film and you feel like a craft service or PA. Um, you're just um, someone who's like, I don't know, serving up hamburgers or something. And then the other thing is uh, because of synthesizers and technology, they um, they feel like well you know why would we pay for an orchestra when and when, when there's no budget for this particular movie so mm. we're going to pay you nothing and we're going to we're going to give you nothing to record with and so the the irony of that is when they do that the amount of work to produce the score is tenfold and yet you're getting ten times less the money because you're basically sitting there and you're you're using synthesizers and 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 sound patches and and uh, you know samples to create the illusion of a score. And it's very, very time-consuming. So you become, I, I, easily 60% 60, 60 of your time becomes producing a, a piece of music as opposed to actually spending time writing it. Um, and that, if, to me, is one of the most infuriating things right now um, on in the business. And, um, you know, because I've been doing a lot of uh, 
lower budget films this last last year, and it's just um, it's you would think they would be a more pleasurable experience, but they're actually um, more hellish than getting a big budget movie where you can just write and you know, have it performed later. You know. Mm-hmm. So, do you prefer uh, work with orchestra? Yeah, I mean, a it's 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 more fulfilling and fun, but and b it's just it's actually far easier because I can sit there and I can just write. And I can be a little sloppy with my, you know, let's say I have a, a piano line. I can go, you know, and, and it pretty much makes sense. And I know what it means. And I can tell my orchestrator, okay, this is what I'm doing here. And I can move on and start and write much quicker. And yes, I have to do a, um, a synthesized rendering of it for the director and the producers. But it doesn't have to be like out the door final to to play on the movie because I know it's going to be recorded again, recorded. So um, yeah, I, I love writing for the orchestra because a it's inspiring just knowing I'm going to go there, and b yeah I can just concentrate on actually writing, which is what we're supposed to be doing. Which uh, movie genre uh, do you prefer when you compose music? Well, you know, I I get that asked it all the time, and I don't know. It really depends what I've been doing. Like like if I've done like two thrillers in a row. I'm not going to want to do a thriller again. I mean, I will, but it'll be less interesting to me than if suddenly I'm doing fantasy film. Uh, I basically, I just need something new to inspire me. So I like switching around to genres. I mean, I, I feel very comfortable in all of them, um, except I, I guess I wouldn't be able to do like a like a rock and roll kind of genre. That wouldn't be my thing at all. <laughs> but but um, but anything else, I, I embrace. What was your first commercial work as a composer? Well. Oh. I would say, I'm trying to think now, it was, um, oh, I, I got $100 to write music for a Amco parking company. It's a parking company. Mm-hmm. Um, training, employee training video. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And, and I was very, very thrilled that, oh, wow, I'm actually getting paid to write something for somebody. And then I did another industrial for quick set lock company and I got like $200 I was so happy that I was being paid to do this whole music thing and then from there you know I did um, Brian's first feature film public access I think less than I made on the quick set lock company <laughs> yeah and that that was pretty much the beginning with the was public access our first little low budget feature film are you still satisfied uh, with your first work public access yeah um, you know, I haven't heard it in years, but um, I would be interesting to, to, to hear it and, and, and see if I cringe or not. But, um, you know, I, I, I try not to leave a movie unless I, I feel like it's the best I possibly could have done. And um, it'll be interesting to see if I go back and look at that, if the best I thought I could do was any good. <laughs> so, <laughs> all I do know that I had terrible equipment back then. I mean, it was the beginning of... of synthesizers and we had no you know budget of course for anything real so except for one guitar so it's all bad synthesizer sounds that I desperately was trying to make sound like a real orchestra so it would be probably um, a little a little uh, eye-opening to hear that score now and your first uh, big movie a little so-called big movie oh uh, that would be I guess X-Men 2 mm-hmm. I was supposed to do X-Men 1 but I had a conflict of schedule with my my film I was directing urban legends so we I couldn't do it and it was uh, upsetting to me and um, at least things went didn't really go well on X-Men 1 so by the time I came on X-Men 2 everyone was just welcoming me welcoming me in <laughs> But I, I almost could do no wrong on that film do you have idols that inspire you in your work well of course uh, that was Jerry Goldsmith was uh, was easily my, my idol I mean I um, 
I grew up listening to, of course, him and John Williams and um, even James Horner, um, despite what people say about James Horner ripping off himself and so forth. The fact is, though, he still, you know, was a very, very good composer. And um, he also was inspiring for a lot of his scores that were original. He did, um, like, um, The Land Before Time and, and a lot of those, those uh, you know, l- less known films that he did are just amazing but um, and John Williams, of course, is still worship John Williams, and um, especially now where film music is taking this horrible turn to just being just bullshit. And and and, the, and I think I, I often think when I watch a film today, I think, what if John Williams had gotten that movie? You know, they didn't have to do all this drum loops and all that. If he had done it, he would have done something different, of course. And whatever he would have done would have worked really well or better, and it wouldn't have been drum loops. And and so I always think about you know he's you know basically an era that that's leaving us but so he's he's amazing but yeah but jerry goldsmith basically was i worshiped him and uh i thought his music was uh with with a few exceptions of course there was a couple clunker scores there but um was uh i think deeper than than williams or, or horner he kind of i think he approached things from more of a psychological level when he could especially in his early days, and um, that, that really got me interested in his music. What was your uh, first uh, score you bought, and have you still it? Um, the first score I bought was, was probably Star Wars. I'm, I'm a, the typical story of my generation. And, you know, I think I played Superman and um, Empire Strikes Back so many times, my parents... You know, would would say, can you please play something else? <laughs> so, oh, oh, and and the Klingon uh, battle from Star Trek: The Motion Picture. I think I wore my record player out. <laughs> so, in fact, I I got an award many years ago, a Saturn Award for The Usual Suspects, and uh, there was a ceremony, and it was all very lighthearted. And I um, had a little tape recorder with me, uh, and with the recording of um, the Klingon battle. And I got up there on stage and I played the tape recorder into the microphone. And I said, first of all, I said, first of all, I want to apologize to my parents for this. And I played the Klingon battle. And everyone laughed because, you know, they, they knew what, what that meant. And so um, uh, that, that was an indication of how many times I played that thing. And the irony was that the presenter of the award um, for my award was George Takei, uh, who was um, Mr. Sulu in Star Trek. Mm. You've also worked as director. How can you describe this experience? What was it like? And would you like to direct more movies? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. One of my favorite things about directing is, A, I don't have to be in a little room all day. I, I could get out of the room and actually see people, which I like. And I love working with actors. That's one of my favorite things to do, especially with a ridiculous script like Urban Legends. I They were like little filmmakers that I could get together with and huddle in a room and say, okay, how do we make this cheesy dialogue believable? How, how do we pull this off? And we would sit down and come up with ideas, and that really, I enjoyed that a lot. And I would love to do it again. It's just, um, you know, there's always been this this fear of leaving my, what do you call, my day job, you know, as it were, because, um, you know, you leave it and people think you're leaving it for good. And that was my fear back then, that when I left film composing just to go do that movie, that everyone thought I'd moved on and that was the end of my scoring career. And that really bothered me. So I, I kind of... Um, freaked out and, and um, got back into film music again and um, as a security blanket, I think. In retrospect, I don't know if I did the right thing. I'm glad I did in one way because I got to write a lot of scores. Um, 
in another way, I, I, I might, if I had stuck with the directing, because um, I, I had many teen movie offers after that film, and I declined all of them and because I didn't want to direct teen movies. But I look back now and I think, well, if I had just taken one of them and done a couple, I would probably be directing what I wanted to direct now. But who knows? You never know. You can't have hindsight when uh, you look back upon your decisions. Um, but I would like to do it again. It's just uh, I want to do something that, that's, that inspires me. Otherwise, I, I don't need to go direct for some ego reasons uh, or just be able to call myself a director. If I'm going to go direct something, it has to be something that I just really want to do that, that interests me. And um, I just haven't found that yet. Your first movie that direct was Lion's Den, a short film. <laughs> with, with Lion, right. Yeah, I read the IMDb. What's the story of the movie and how was the film made? Well, that was, um, wow, such a long time ago. It was a short movie that Brian and a friend of his wrote. This was, uh, was it during film school or just, just, I think it was still during film school at USC. It was a 20-minute or 25-minute movie about five guys that get together after their first year in college. And um, they go to a diner and have dinner, and they realize, basically, the, the, short of it, the short of it is they realize they have less in common than they thought they did. And it's such a simple diner kind of movie. And uh, Brian grew up with Ethan Hawke, who um, was on the rise back then, so he did the movie with us. And um, Brian wanted to play one of the main characters in the movie and one of the guys at the table because he at that back then he fancied himself as becoming like a Woody Allen kind of director and um, he quickly learned that that's not going to happen because he a he's a terrible actor and um, he was so nervous all the time because he was overwhelmed by the camera crew and we had to get him we had to get him drunk so we there was a liquor store store next door And um, we got him uh, basically drunk on gin so he could play the part and not be so stressed out and worried about everything. So I ended up having to you know, direct half of that with him because he was blasted half the time. Yeah, so he very graciously you know, shared the credit with me. And um, from there, we got um, public access, our first feature. And how did you met Brian Singer and what was the start of the collaboration? A friend of mine at school was doing his own thesis Uh, film there and um, uh, Brian was uh, a PA on the film and one day I um, was asked to come to the set and help with sound um, so I was and I never know who was doing what I can't remember I was either doing the boom mic and Brian was doing the recordist position or recording he was doing the I mean I can't remember but um, I, he made some sort of joke, which is a very, very rare for Brian to make a joke about anything. He usually just responds to jokes. But I laughed, and we started talking, and then uh, the, the director of the movie had to fire the editor because the, the story just wasn't, wasn't, wasn't working. People didn't even understand what they were watching. So I, he asked me to take over and, and re recut the movie, and Brian, who had been on the film from the beginning, saw me take the film apart and redo basically a whole new movie. And he was um, very impressed by that. And so he said, hey, you know, I'm doing this little movie called Lion's Den, and, and would you edit it for me? And that's, that's pretty much how it started. Since uh, 23 years. Or... Yeah. <laughs> wow. A fan likes your mystical scores, for example, Usual Suspects or Incognito. And he says he, uh, you unfortunately haven't written such a theme for a long time. Can we expect something mystical from you again in the future? Well, if I get a movie that, that warrants it, sure. I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, 
I, I want Alexander Desplat to 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 die in a car crash or something, so I can take take over that niche. <laughs> but, no, he. I, I love his music, but he he sort of um, got into the niche that I would love to be in. Uh, that that sort of scoring is was what I love to do, and um, he seems to be getting all those movies. But um, I would love to do that kind of score. Yeah, I was able to touch on it just slightly um, unknown. Um, the, movie, the movie that just came out a, a month or so ago um, with Liam Neeson, um, but you know it's it's a thriller that that needs something else. But I I tried my best to try to integrate a sort of you know uh, piano theme, sort of suspects like you know for for the um, for the character. You talk very enthusiastic about the music of John Williams. In the booklet of Superman Returns, you're talking about your personal relationship. How did it feel composed with this famous, uh, famous themes and ran them to record? Well, it was daunting. I mean, I I tell people that, you know, before I started writing the score for that movie, I was getting almost getting death threats on the emails. Like, you know, how dare you write the movie music for this movie? And And, you know, why aren't they using John Williams? Why are you doing it? And, and I was just like, wow, you know, and then I would get people very, very passionately uh, telling me, you know, through emails and stuff, uh, you know, um, you, if you don't use that theme, you know, you're, you're going to we're going to kill you. You know, so I, of course, they didn't know they were preaching to the choir because I would never theme for Superman because of my belief in continuity. And I was really, though, getting crippled mentally by all this pressure to do the right thing. And I finally just got to the point in my head where, you know what, I don't care what anybody says because I'm, I'm, I'm going to be inhibited. I'm just going to be doing this movie like any other film. I'm given this movie and I'm going to do what I do naturally, just do what I do. And so th that really freed, freed my, my mind up to just to, to create. And even Brian was surprised all about the number of nods I gave to the original score. But that was fun for me, you know, just to to write some piece of music and then suddenly go, dun, 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 you know, and and it's I, I knew that score so well that I didn't need to refer to any music or any sheet music, nothing, because it, it's very simple when you just hear it by ear. So it was funny for me because I would integrate it into a into a piece of music And I wasn't referring to any of the original scores whatsoever. And when we got it on stage, it sounded exactly the same. So I'm like, you know, it's, it really is that simple of a score to, to really figure out orchestrationally, you know. But I didn't want to refer to it because I wanted it to sound, you know, like it came from somebody else. But at the same, same time was his, you know, nodding to his, his themes. In the booklet, you also wrote that Superman is one of your uh, favorite superhero movie. Yes. What were you feeling when you watched the film for the very first time um, at the cinema? Oh, wow. I, I was blown away. You know, I never was a superhero fan co with comic books. I didn't, didn't know anything about X-Men before I started X-Men. Oh. And I didn't know much about Superman except for, you know, the, the original television series that, that was a little before my time anyway. But I just, just the grandeur of it and the, the intelligence of it. I For back then, I was really sort of um, awe-inspired by, by it. And I thought it was a beautiful film in many ways. I mean, I, I get chills when I talk about just the scene where uh, the father is taking Clark up to the up to the barn and he has a stroke, you know, and he falls to the ground and he's, he gives this beautiful um, monologue before his stroke about not understanding why his son's the way he is and and but whatever it is, there's there's a reason for, for why you why you're here and so forth. And it was just really beautifully written. And um, and the death scene was so 
uh, and and he, he collapses in this wide master shot, and the music is just very, really, really just um, uh, actually almost non-existent there, but it's just 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 this very sustained sort of cluster of strings, and and it just it just gives me chills right now talking about that scene, and that movie to me um, there was just ma- many masterful, beautiful moments in it, and then and then cut to um, you know the Lex Luthor character with Gene Hackman and Otis and his sidekick uh, the um, Valerie Perrine I think her name was, and it just that trio was just was just magic, and the the the, uh, the banter he had with those characters. And the dialogue was just ingenious, you know. So I, I just really idolized that that movie, and um, not so much from the, the standpoint of Superman, but but just the the movie itself was such a a, a good film, I thought. And um, and I know Brian felt the exact way. And so when we did Superman Returns, why he wanted to do that movie, I don't know. But but we had to do it. We did it. We felt very obliged to, you know, almost in a religious sense, keep that movie. Um, alive, and that was both a hindrance uh, and advantage to the film because it, it wanted to be its own thing, but we always were afraid to uh, go too far in some other direction because we felt such a religious obligation to the original movie. Do you read comic books? No, no, I never read a comic book. Uh-uh. Oh, yeah, just never was. I was too busy watching Star Trek, I guess, but <laughs> I um, was never into comic books. Mm-hmm. Wow. But uh, so before I get um, a movie that's based upon a comic book, I just research the characters mm-hmm. and um, find out, you know, all about them, find out what their history is. But um, yeah, no. But a lot of comic films, X Men and Fantastic Four, Superman Returns. I think I thought that was just a wave. You know, everyone was saying, you know, John Amon's the new superhero composer, and I was mm-hmm. always thinking to myself when they said that. Like, well, why are they saying that? Because it just happens to be a, a fluke. I I did X Men Two, and I and I happened to do Fantastic Four, and I did Superman. Well, I mean, that's really it. I mean, um, I mean, it's a lot of superhero films, but it's not like I'm the superhero guy. I mean, I'd like to be. It'd be fun, you know. Mm-hmm. Great. How did you get a job for uh, Fantastic Four? Well, I, I I rallied hard for that one. You know, I rarely ever fight to get on a movie. I just like, if they come, they come. If they don't, then I'd rather go and sit at a cafe and, and enjoy my life. But this one, I really I really wanted to do. It sounded so fun, and I could do superhero music that was literally more fun and on my sleeve without having to be really serious. So I contacted Ralph Winter, who is a producer on uh, X-Men 2, and I called him, and I called the, um, the head of music over at Fox, um, Robert Kraft, and uh, I just told them I just really, really wanted to do the film. And of course, it was pretty much on the heels of of X Men Two. So they all, it was not really a hard thing to convince them. But I think you know when they hear a composer is really genuinely from is personally excited to do a film, I think that means a lot to them. And um, so I, I got the gig. Then I remember getting a phone call, second one from. The director Tim Story and he called me one day and he goes John you know doing a second one and, and I just want to know would you be interested in doing it <laughs> I said <laughs> I said well you're asking me are you kidding me <laughs> no, of course I would it was always my fantasy to do a, a sequel to my own work you know that that I really really was upset that we didn't do X-Men 3 because mm-hmm. I had laid so many seeds with the music um, I did all these little themes for the characters that I really wanted them to grow in X-Men 3. I had purposefully written a theme for Jean Grey and all these other characters. Like her theme was going to become the same theme, but then be, be sort of morph into Dark Phoenix. And so when we when we abandoned that 
franchise, yeah, I was very uh, upset. And so when uh, Fantastic Four came along and, and then the sequel, I thought, okay, there's my chance so to do a, a follow-up to a score I wrote already, you know. At the moment, you're in London recording music for Brian Singer's new movie. Could you tell us a few things about both music and the film? Well, I don't know anything about the music yet, except it's going to be, you know, a big score. It's, um, you know, it's quite a epic-sized film. So we'll, I'll be recording here in London. So that that excites me, um, although it worries me because I won't be near the editing room. So that's I don't know how that's going to work. But um, it's a, a big motion capture movie that's um, sort of like Avatar-like kind of technology you know where it's basically big giant people who live in the clouds um and the little people that live below and it sounds silly when i talk about it but um it's based upon um jack and the beanstalk the fable mm -hmm. but it's, it's lo loosely based upon that and they did jack the giant killer in the 60s this isn't really a remake though it really has very little to do with the original film and i don't know it's uh it's a fantasy it's a fantasy film um, which um i haven't really done before and um Yeah, I'll, um, a year from now, somehow, I'm going to be record recording something. I don't, know, I don't know what it is. Sounds interesting. Are there choruses in the score? Uh, I, I don't know. Um, I, I, you know, it's, it's hard to say. I, my first reaction when I, when I read the script and starting to work on it would be no, but, you know, can never predict. I have a feeling there might be some male choir uh, somewhere with the, you know, representing the giants. But as I get to know the story more, I get to think about the music better because on its surface, I'm like, well, a music about giants, you know, living in the clouds, these little people. And I don't know if I'd use choir. It'd be the obvious thing to do. But then as I learn more about what the background is of these giants who live up there in the clouds for centuries, you know, and what, what their problem is, then it's sort of like, oh, okay, well, maybe some choir could work. I don't know. <laughs> so. You often use choruses in, the, in your scores. Is there a specific meaning to you or are you just like me who loves choruses in general? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's not that. It's, I mean, I, I lo it, it, it sounds so beautiful when you do it, but, mm -hmm. but it's, to me it's just another refreshing section of, of the orchestra that can give a whole new dimension to a piece of music when, when you're sort of out, out of ideas. You can bring the choir in, <laughs> but, but – um, But, you know, it's got to be done with taste. You, you know, choir can be very cheesy in a film score and it can be over relied upon. So I really try to 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 um, even though I tend to use a lot of it, I, I try to be judicious <laughs> with it and use it tastefully. You know, I remember there was one review on um, the Valkyrie score and, you know, people love the that opening piece in, on the album, which is the ending title music. Mm -hmm. And then there was criticism why the rest of this, why the rest of the score couldn't have more of that in it. And I'm like, well, it would have been absolutely inappropriate <laughs> to put choir over over these scenes in Valkyrie, which is an espionage movie, you know. And so it, it's so funny when people listen to a CD and like, okay, it's it's not you have to judge a score by what it's doing for the movie, not not your CD experience. But uh, yeah, I, so you, you can't use it for everything. <laughs> yes, uh, the, the German chorus uh, Nakuya. Great. Yeah, kind of beautiful. You know. mm -hmm. You're working as composer, editor, director. Which job do you enjoy the most? Editor was not. <laughs> well, yeah, you can, you can mark off editor. Um, okay. I, well, I, I love I, wrote, I love writing film music. It's a good gig that has a budget. I love doing it. Um, well, love most of the time. It's, there's always parts you don't love there. So I would say that the composing, but um, I would love to go direct something that I really believed in. That would be a blast for me. You know, it's, I'm a, at a point in my life now where 
you know, one of the other reasons I didn't go direct was because, you know, I frankly couldn't afford it. I, you know, making a living doing film music. And if I left my job and I had a mortgage to pay and all these things because I I wouldn't be able to afford to do it. But now, you know, uh, I'm at the point in my life where I could probably, you know, I could take a year off or more and and go do something like that. So um, it's something that I'm thinking about. But who knows? You know, I know Brian would would, would be very upset with me. So. (laughs) (laughs) And what are your next projects? Oh, God, I don't know. Um, life, relaxing. I mean, when by the time I'm done with one of these double-duty projects with Brian, I'm, I, I'm ready for the hospital. I mean, it's way more than, than one person should be asked to do. So I, I don't know um, what state of physical and mental state I'll be in uh, at the end of this movie. But um, I'm really hoping that um, I can take a little break and then do um, some scores for um, some directors that I have uh, started some relationships with. Uh, Jean Massera, who did um, Unknown and The Orphan and House of Wax. I did three of his films now. I would love to um, work with him on a, another film after I'm done with this one because he's um, planning something which I think will be done after I'm done with this one. So, And then there's uh, uh, Shane Black, who I did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang with. Uh, apparently he's doing Iron Man 3. I have no idea if I would be up for it, but you know, I would love to keep that relationship and, and do that after this one as well. So that would be That would be fun for me as well. I call five terms. You tell me just briefly what comes to your mind. Orchestra. Group of superheroes. Favorite movie? Alien, the first one. Hollywood. Hollywood. Wow. Bullshit. Oh. (laughs) At least end of work. Um, South Park. 